Speaking of racism, policing is experienced in vastly different ways between communities of color and white communities. In today's show, Noah Lomax and I will be talking about that and the recent verdict in the Laquan McDonald case. I want to give you a little background first. Laquan McDonald was shot and killed on October 20th, 2014. His shooting led to a DOJ investigation into the Chicago Police Department and it released a report in January of 2017 citing, and I quote, a culture of excessive violence, especially against minority suspects, and of having poor training and supervision, end quote. Today's show is one of remembrance and lament. You're listening to Speaking of Racism, the podcast dedicated to frank, honest, and respectful discussions about race and racism in the U.S. I'm your host, Jen Kinney. Pull up a chair and let's talk. Special thanks to Grapes for the music. The song is I Don't Know featuring Jay Lang. Laquan McDonald, teenager in Chicago, shot and killed by a police officer as he got out of his car, uh, thinking that Laquan McDonald was heading his way, or at least that's what the statement was. There's video on what actually happened. And, and you know, as a precaution, if you're going to watch the video, definitely make sure no kids are around. It's, it's, it's pretty intense. Um, right. so the facts are Laquan McDonald was supposedly coming out of a Burger King walking on the streets. He had a mental issue, uh, as his foster family knew, but, mm-hmm. uh, from the records, Laquan McDonald was supposedly brandishing a knife, walking towards cops, waving it at them. And mm-hmm. that's why they had to take him down. But again, as facts are, and as the video goes, we see Laquan McDonald wrestling probably with his cell phone, whatever mental condition was, mental condition was taking over him at the time. He did have a knife in hand. However, he jettisoned away from the police. More police started to pull up uh, on the block that he was walking down. Mm-hmm. Officer Van Dyke yes. exits his police car, which is the one that just freshly pulled up on the scene and shot at Laquan McDonald 16 times. So mm-hmm. that uh, the street, again, just for the record's sake, is uh, was 41st in Pulaski Road here in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And... You can see the bottle, the, the, the bullets riddle his body, uh, over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. What they tried to say again was that he lunged at the officer or officers in question who they all tried to write a similar report on to justify the murdering of him. Uh, and around the time that it happened, his family was instantly awarded $5 million. And what happened on camera was not given over to public record until some lawyers fought for it. And after that, Around 2016, Chicago erupted mm-hmm. in what was considered one of the most heinous things that CPD has done to Chicago's citizens, as well as uh, just in in the scope of Black Lives Matter, it 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 freshly pulled off band aids again. Understanding that Chicago has had a horrible, horrible record amongst Black people, especially, but Chicago in general as to how they mutilated people, as to how they tortured people into confessions, as to how they would go down the streets and pick up youth and place them inside of gang wards and holler out that this person was of a particular gang um, so that person could get beat up and or killed, uh, as as to well as to having uh, gang members on their payroll for, for drugs and contraband. This boiled over. This was This was the straw that broke the camel's back, and a lot of people... I mean, went gung ho about trying to clear this man's name as the media tried to paint him as uh, some horrible person and deserving of these 16 shots uh, and tried to paint Officer Van Dyke as a great hero of Chicago for putting down this this beast of a, of a man that was heading towards the police. And yeah. all of the time leading up to this courtroom session, I mean, you had people out there still marching, still fighting to try to clear this guy's name and, and what befell everything has, has uh, almost destroyed the morale, uh, the, the understanding of what the justice system can and cannot be 
once again in Chicago. Uh, Laquan McDonald was the microcosm of what actually is going on in Chicago. And that is crazy. Uh, I want to say all cops, but a lot of cops on CPD's payroll who in cops in, in America in general who get away with doing something that if a regular citizen had done anything near it, wouldn't be allowed to tell you about it. And right. The look on the, 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 his family members' faces as uh, Van Dyke was sentenced to, was it uh, seven years, seven and a half years, or it'll probably only serve three and he'll be out because this judge didn't give him the sentence for each bullet shot, uh, which would have given him significant more time, of course. But that's the story of, of how a police officer simply unloaded a full clip inside of him offered no support for him uh, after shooting him and died later in a hospital. Um, but yeah. was, 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 was that excessive? Was that, was that necessary for someone that was not even going towards the cop and all of these other cops that parlayed the story as to it was exactly how Officer Van Dyke said it was. And they were found out to be liars um, and, and nothing happened with them. You know, right. they were simply let go from it all. So, those are the facts. Uh, Laquan McDonald, again, shot 16 times by Officer Van Dyke, jettisoning away from his squad car, walking nowhere near, brandishing a knife, nowhere near a police officer in question. And again, Van Dyke gets out of his car, just unloads into the kid. This happened in 2014, but the actual video footage was not released until I think it was 15 months later. So it took protesting. It took people in the streets. It took people in Black Lives Matter to just push and push and push. And then finally, when the video was released that day, the police officer was arrested. Like on the yes. spot, no bail or anything. Do you recall, because you were in Chicago and you're active in BLM, what what were people doing during this time where he had been killed, but the video footage hadn't been released? Like what was going on then? Um, I think people were supporting the journalist that actually started to file for the information to be released. And that was a guy named Brandon Smith. No one knew entirely what happened because there was no video to to sort of initiate the the buzz or the fire that started to drive more people towards Black Lives Matter about what, what ended up happening. It took the later part and the earlier parts, well, the later part of 2015 and the earlier part of 2016 for people to be abreast of what happened because the video was, was released on November 19, 2015, and uh, it, it blew up overnight. I okay. think there were maybe two to three million views upon his first release. And that was just on, on Facebook. Now when I happened to see it, it was, I think it was at uh, 3.5 million. And, and that was that same day. It had just become so viral. Right. And um, instantly there was this, this grief that struck the city. People of all walks. I mean, there were Muslim brothers and sisters holding hands with Christian brothers and sisters. And there was white, there was black, there was Asian, there was Latinos marching the streets of Chicago in droves, shutting, shutting down uh, uh, huge streets that, you know, would otherwise be four or five lanes to get people to and from uh, to to let the city know we did not want anything but justice for Laquan McDonald, nothing short of that. And instantly we, we wanted it as fast as possible. There were people so upset with the mayor and so upset with the superintendent at the time. And mm -hmm. uh, so the, the cry uh, I want to say that took over the city because there were people in tears marching, holding his picture. Uh, some people uh, with bullhorns and, and drums and, and shouting to the top of their lungs, losing their voices, marching with Black Lives Matter. There were other groups there that were part of it. There were uh, a lot of young kids from colleges that were creating groups just to join alongside or, or create their own kind of avenue where they were trying to get information out about what happened to Laquan. They, everyone wanted the truth. No one wanted to put anything out that would make the, the, the media be justified in what they were trying to say about Laquan McDonald. Everyone, you know, were, were trying to get to talk to his parents, his foster parents. I've never seen the city move that fast. And these were just everyday citizens. It wasn't your, your top of the line media representatives rather it wasn't anyone behind the camera trying to hold a mic to anyone's face it was your average 
teens, your your young adults and your adults went forth about this with with fever until mm-hmm. just last year when of course when this went to trial and that kind of tapered the city off a little bit because I know everyone wanted to see this man be placed up to a judge and for us not to get what what we wanted and for this judge to just leniently let him go it 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 yeah it's um it's it's not the same chicago anymore it's people are hurting uh still and i know this isn't the biggest avenue uh of why people are hurting but this this was the the straw that broke the camel's back yeah no justice for laquan mcdonald whatsoever or for his his family my understanding is that because of this footage that came out the um DOJ was actually called to do an investigation on the CPD specifically. And they found that um, the CPD had an issue with a culture of excessive violence. And that only came out in January of 2017. So Mm -hmm. when that came out, what was the reaction of people? Because I know for you, you're like, well, yeah. I've known this for a very long time and we've been talking about this. Have you seen any like perceivable change in a positive direction within the culture of the police department? Or do you think it's just largely talk? It's talk. I think um, a lot of the mayors that are over CPD, of course, here uh, having rank over the superintendent allow all of that to go on because it, it ties into what Chicago truly is a very segregated city. So mm-hmm. you 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 over police the south and the west sides. You keep the north side beautiful. You keep the lake area and the southeast sides uh pretty much up to to par meaning that you keep a certain hue of people there and mm-hmm. and that parlayed into how the how CPD started to treat citizens of Chicago. So what the DOJ found was was what we've come to know um, in me growing up, especially in another of our shows where, you know, we were, uh, the police rolled up on us while we were just shooting basketball, being kids. We we found that to be very true. Yeah, you just placed the mirror up to everything we've said, you know, Department of Justice. We We knew this already. And it didn't change anything about how we feel about police officers. And this, this just made it uh, that much more horrible of a situation to to say like well yeah you you let go an officer that shot down a kid and you you want us to be okay with that you now like now you want to smooth things over now this year 2019 it's it's already too late so some people aren't aren't changing their minds about CPD at all and and sure. for right cause yeah well and i want to talk about that cuz you've said it a couple of times about this idea of like this kid didn't even do anything that warranted it. So I, there's two things. One, one I had read that he was on PCP and that he did lunge toward a car and cut a tire. But to me, even if that's the case, that's fairly irrelevant. To me, what's important is at the time that he was shot, he was walking away when he was shot. And when he hit the ground, he hit the ground. And so where are we at as a nation in training our officers to take a suspect down, but not out? Where are we at? Why in other countries is this not an issue? Why in other countries do you have officers who can like get a gun out of somebody's hand or, you know, like shoot them to, to drop them to the ground? But this killing and this violence is a big problem to me. I think we, we're still where we want to be as a country. It was what happened to Laquan is the same thing that happened to Tamir Rice, where the officer mm-hmm. got out of his car, no questions asked. The first thing he or she, felt to do it was it was a guy at that point was just shoot right shoot and this is a 12 year old kid and this was a 16 year old teen in many cases in america they they may follow the the path of trying to get a gun out of someone's hand or a crowbar or a knife but that person has to be white in almost all of the cases mm-hmm. and and that they're given the the benefit of the doubt to where we want to protect your life we want to get you 
to a police station. We want to figure out what caused you to to have this outburst, to, to outlash like this. Whereas in any case with with black people, especially if they're unarmed, it's mm, I feared for my life. And that's always the case where they can get off in other countries, of course, uh, which is ironic. To them, all lives really do matter. But when they say all lives, it's not because there's one color or one percentage of people that's disenfranchised or marginalized. It's that we want to get this situation taken care of so no one has to die, meaning a person that they're probably after, thus them brandishing a a gun or a crowbar or whatever uh, weapon they may have. And so the police are are specifically trained to to see um uh the reality that it may be a mental issue to see the reality that this person um uh in this country which probably has a lower crime rate than America uh probably is is, is you know very pissed off at something so we can talk we can rationalize we can get the situation taken down and and de-escalate it instead of escalating it further with the intent to kill and that's what it seems that the American cops do I mean, it, there's been many instances where the 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 people of the military have said we're taught better de-escalation uh, principles than most of the cops in America, and it's true because they just can't kill civilians in other countries. They can't kill unarmed citizens in uh, in other countries because that goes against them. It goes against the military. It makes us look weak as a military. Uh, it, it it makes the president look weak since the president has jurisdiction over the military mm-hmm. but when it comes to cops and it comes to any city in america they don't look weak they're actually you know th- there's a, a people a, a populace of people that back them and it's called back the blue and no matter what a cop does that's wrong they will back them just for the fact that they want to say this cop should get home and this cop should get home safely because their job is so hard no one makes them get that job but that person that has you know been killed in their line of duty that person isn't making it home to their family and no one backs them. The media instantly makes it seem like, you know, this person was, was going to kill the entirety of America. It, it like they, they paint such a broad stroke of people of color that it makes the cop, the next cop or the rookie cop or the cop that's been on a beat for some time that much more afraid of people of color. And then in the instance just plays itself out over and over and over again. And other cops around other countries, which they have YouTube videos uh, on, where they see how cops are treating citizens here, and it baffles them. They mm. don't understand it. Um, they they really don't see why America is the way it is, uh, based on our our cops and based on how they're they're not trained. I mean, it's known that uh, beauticians have more hours of practice for their their craft than cops do. Or wow. more hours of of making sure that they understand what they're getting into, making sure they they can commit to this job, making sure that they can use this as their platform going forward. Where cops, they don't, they're not given over to to mental health to study that to see why people are doing what they're doing or what's going on. They're not given over to true tactics of de-escalation like the military is, even though a, a, a good percentage of the military comes back and becomes cops in America. And, you know, that's still given over to just the regular standard police training instead of overtraining, uh, making sure that people understand if, if you see a child with a gun, uh, a toy gun, especially it's a toy gun and it's Ohio where it's legal to carry. So I, none of that, you know, goes into the play of what a cop is trained for. Everything else that's just, just bent on um, oh, I, I had an instance where, you know, I felt unsafe and I can use my weapon. That's what the laws are gearing cops towards because they're nine times out of 10 going to be found innocent. So it's, it's, it's playing on a, the rationale that there is racism inside of the blue. It doesn't matter if it's a black cop or white cop. The generalization is if the media and, and, uh, just the aspects of how people of color are treated are given over to, to making them, to making a cop think that these people are indeed criminals, they will always be criminals, then anyone can die. It doesn't matter if you're a woman, a man, or a child. If you're of color, you have the the capacity to be killed by police officers faster than your white counterparts. And again, other nations, as you asked before, aren't following that trend. They're protecting their citizens. And it's sadly on the side of a police car, but it's not what they are. It's not what they do anymore. 
Yeah, it's really interesting to hear you talk about the military, for example, and their tactical approach. But it speaks really loudly as to the culture of our country. If we are in a position where we allow this sort of treatment of people in such a blanket way, and yet you have these men and women who decide that they're going to go into this profession and they go into this profession as servants to the people. There's this entire culture that seems so toxic around what we view the police as and what we allow that. And like the reality is we are allowing them to behave in this way. We are allowing them to continue in this. If these things continue to happen, it happens because we are allowing it as a nation. And that's what we need to look at. So it's like we're talking about Chicago right now. And we're talking about something that is very close to you in proximity. But we are talking about our entire nation and why it is it's taken a child having 16 bullets put into his body, why it's taken something like that to get the DOJ called in to even start looking at this. If people are listening to this, what are some action items for them that they can do that will help in this? So, you know, for example, Something that I would think of is one, start reading, read books like the new Jim Crow, read books like stamped from the beginning. There are a lot of other books. There's, uh, something on Netflix called 13th and it's about the 13th amendment. So education is going to be key, but then beyond education, there has to be movement and action. How can people be putting their time, their energy and their resources and their voice into this? Talk to your police commissioners. Talk, go in there and, and get to know their names. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the first thing, especially if you have people of color in your town. Get a, a meeting where citizens get to know police officers who, who I'm assuming in smaller cities and, and uh, towns live amongst the people. Where in mm-hmm. Chicago and, and maybe major cities uh, across America, we don't know who police officers are and we never will. We don't know them by name. We don't know them by badge number. We, we, we can't get to know their superintendent. We can't get to know the commissioners. We can't get to know the sergeants because these people, though they uh, police in Chicago, most of them don't live amongst the communities that they serve. Going out into the neighborhoods to speak to people who've been disenfranchised by cops, that's two. You have to listen to their stories because that makes them human too. You have to understand why they feel the way they feel about cops, why there is a no snitching policy. I mean, there are people who have people in their neighborhoods who are doing bad, but still fear the cops more than they feel the person that's doing bad in their neighborhoods. Why do they feel that way? And I'll tell you much about that, why they feel that way. But um, that's something else to talk about. Talk to people in the neighborhoods who've lost their brothers or sisters or uncles, cousins, whatever they may have been to a family member to a cop. And that cop is still on the beat. See what's going on in their hearts. Ask them questions like, "What? how do you feel now that this person is taken away? And there's no monetary uh, value that can take the 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 presence of that person uh, and make it better. There, There isn't. They awarded them $5 million, but that $5 million doesn't bring Laquan McDonald back or mm-hmm. anyone else that was awarded money. None of that. See how they truly feel. Because when you truly understand how they feel and you, you hear it from the cop side, from speaking to cops, how they may or may not feel about other cops that are doing this, that are abusing the law, that are abusing the system, that have the courts in their favor, that that have quit the force because they see the manipulation that goes on behind doors. Then only then can we bridge all of that together. We we can see how people feel about the communication between cops and citizens and how cops feel about the communication between cops and citizens. And that that needs to be on all media stations, spinning live on CNN or or Fox or whatever, it may need to be spawned on so that we get away from just fearing cops and cops get away from fearing people of color to where we can have some type of dialogue and make it so that cops are trained more because we should be pushing that towards cops. We yes. should. We, we, our taxes pay their, their money. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're a part of, of what we need to, to, to say and do to make sure our streets are safe and they should follow what we have to say. Or else we bring back citizens arrests and we just arrest those in our community to keep ourselves safe. 
So I mm. think it, it's those three things. We have to talk to cops. We have to talk to people who are afraid of cops. And we have to talk to people who've had loss because of cops. I'm so frustrated when I see people in the white community, you know, just look the other way and say, oh, well, the police, you know, they they should do whatever they want to be able to do. And they're serving and protecting and their jobs are difficult and so on and so forth. That's what bothers me. I think there are two sets of of white people when it comes to the violence that partakes their their citizens, their 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 brothers and sisters of a different hue. It's one, it's people who just say, yep, that's the police. And that's what they do, obviously, like you said. And then they'll go on about their days because police never mess with them. Just because they live in su- suburban USA or small townville USA or big city USA, but they're in a privileged place. And it always falls on the privilege. So they'll, they're not, they, they themselves aren't racist and what they're saying isn't racist. But when they try to say, uh, push it away, push it aside, what they're doing is being dismissive of true facts now. And it, it's sad, but facts had to be placed out there because at first no one was taking into account how many police officers have killed citizens. That's, that's a new statistic now. And in that statistic, most people still don't believe it. You, in this, this falls on the second person, the second, uh, populace of white people that believe that, no, I don't believe the stats. There are more white people being killed by police officers. And yes, that is very true. But in the sense of how they apprehend most white people, the sense of how they take them into the station, the sense of that a white person can get away with almost murder before they're murdered. And that secondary white person, of course, is coming from the privileged aspect and a racist aspect because they're okay with black men and brown men and black women and brown women dying and being killed by police officers because they back the blue. And I'm going back into that phrase because I hear that so often on social media. There, There's an actual Facebook group that does that. They share police videos, no matter if the person is killed or not, to justify mm-hmm. that cops are doing a great job in America. The start of cops in America was actually to catch free, uh, not free slaves, but slaves in general who escaped. Mm-hmm. And sometimes even free people in the North and bring them back South to make them slaves. So, you know, black people are all familiar with those stories, all familiar. And this is something that I think a lot of white people are not familiar with and don't understand because there's this gap in understanding and knowledge and information in a lot of white America. Um, And so that's where I think it's so essential that people do their work and they learn history and they learn how police were utilized as an extension of racist government policy, you know, locally and so on during the civil rights movement. You know, and like if if you really look at this and you really uncover this, there is a really huge problem with the culture of police precisely because of how they started and how they've continued and what they represent. Yes. And that is a challenging thing. And I think that's where your points about, you know, community involvement and people getting involved and connecting with and, and having these humanity sort of touch points and holding people accountable is really key to changing this because obviously this isn't going to change tomorrow. Right. Yeah. But number like point number one or step one is caring. And I, I actually ran into this a couple of weeks ago. You know, I posted a um, meme for Laquan McDonald. So I had a friend who has been threatening to unfollow me for a long time. And, you know, I, I understand. And so I've told her she should do that. But privately, I was asking her, why, why now? What is it? That caused you to finally unfriend me. And she said, well, the Laquan McDonald thing. And I was like, oh, okay. So what was it about the Laquan McDonald thing that made you unfriend me? Did you think that, you know, six years was enough for 16 bullets? And this is a private conversation that she and I are having. And she's like, well, I don't really know anything about it, actually. And I said, well, um, why don't you take a look at the video? And get back to me and let's chat. And so she said, well, was he on drugs? And I said, as far as I know, yes, he was on drugs. Was he running from the police? Yes, he was running from the police. 
And she's like, well, then sorry, whatever happens, happens. And it's this mentality of like police worship where it's like they can do no wrong. They have every right to do whatever they want to do because we have placed them on pedestals and we've put them in these roles of like worship because they're, they're putting themselves on the line and putting their lives in, you know, the line of fire for other more honorable things. And then suddenly we can't hold them accountable and we can't look at them and, and say that there is, there is a, a process that you need to go through. You should A, follow the law, B, not kill people. See, not hide behind your badge and your power to get away with things that are illegal and wrong. D, you shouldn't lie. You know, like these are some pretty basic concepts. But it was amazing to me because this person unfollowed me. And again, I have no issue with that, but unfollowed me simply because I put something up and it said Laquan McDonald, say his name, learn his story. And that's it. That is literally all I said. But because I dared speak in any way, shape or form that would potentially put a shadow over police officers, I, I was banned and thrown, you know, thrown out. And, and it's like that level of just absolutely like mindless devotion is scary as hell to me because it takes me to like Nazi Germany, you know, it takes me to the rise of Hitler. And it takes me again to the fact that we have to use our voices and we have to step up and we have to say enough is enough. It boggles my mind to see the way people just fall in line with people in places of authority and just go, okay, whatever the person in authority does or says is right. And it's like, no, 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 no. You know, like what, it, what is going on here? So anyway, that's a side story, but I was just like, wow. I'm like, I'm so glad that I asked her though, because otherwise I thought it was for every other thing I annoy people with, you know, because I'm always talking about something. But I was absolutely amazed that something that she actually had no context for mm-hmm. is why I was unfollowed. It was amazing. Isn't it, it's, the machine is will always pump out people like that because the indoctrination for police officers being right all the time is so it's so ingrained in most people when they're of the privilege where they've never had a. Uh, instance of being so I, th- I believe it to be that people believe themselves to be so superhuman because police officers don't come knock on their door don't pull them over or if they do get pulled over it's just a ticket because it was just an infraction that you know they've done they don't see themselves as ever being somebody that can commit crime or uh can murder or do anything of that sort which is true they they themselves won't do it but they they heighten themselves to a better source of humanity because since they're not like the people of color or since they're not like anyone else that has committed these crimes, they're better than the rest of humanity. So mm-hmm. cops are out there doing their jobs to keep the rest of the, uh, those who will do that stuff in line or in check. There have been many instances where people have died from being scared of cops, just simply scared, trying to follow the law, trying to follow their commands, but they may have made a misstep or, or something of that nature, like uh, Daniel Shaver, the guy who was shot in the head. Because he was told to crawl from his hotel room. There was nothing he did. I think someone called the police on him and his girlfriend, ordered them both out of their hotel room, and they told him to crawl towards him on his stomach, but first told Mm -hmm. him to put his hands on his head and take his hands off his head, crawl towards them. And he went to reach for his shorts because he wanted to be decent. No one wants to be bare behind in front of a cop while just being filmed and was shot because he reached for his shorts to pull them up. But again, the indoctrination is... He must have done something bad mm-hmm. because that's why he was shot. And so since he was shot, that's one bad person or less bad person that I have to worry about ever coming to my small suburbia part of USA to otherwise threaten me or rob me and my kids. And therefore, we have this prestige because we're going to continue to live in this greatness. And living inside that bubble automatically justifies that that's racism because you believe that everyone outside of that bubble, especially if they're of color, is a horrible person and they deserve the death that happened to them, especially if they don't even know anything about the situation. Like your friend didn't know anything about Laquan McDonald, but asked you a couple of questions and came to the consistent say, yeah, he should have, he should have been killed because he was on drugs and he had a knife. Yeah. He was on some drugs, but 
that has absolutely nothing to do with anything, but it's the way people have been indoctrinated by police just as they were, of course, during slavery, as we spoke about, when they were picking up slaves who were thought to be the most horrible of humanity again. So the same instances that befell uh, black people then are befalling them now, but the same mindset of why it's justified is befalling those that are uh, white and may or may not be racist still to this day as well. The two are still playing out the way, I guess, the powers that be want them to play out. Because you can be black, you can be white, but we don't have to hate each other. You can be black, you can be white, and a cop. You could be black and be white and kill someone that's black or white, not be racist. But the thing about it is how you're being indoctrinated as to why it's justified, as to why black people have to die to that degree, or why um, white officers themselves feel this 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 timidness or being scared of people of color, and so therefore the the gun has to be drawn, or um, right, or else they're going to die. They're not going to make it home, and that black person never makes it home. You know, God forbid, and uh, the situation just continues. Right. When we were talking last time, uh, there was something that you had said about uh, growing up and when you were young and how, you know, you just thought it was routine that the police stopped when you're playing basketball and, you know, checked you guys out and whatever. And it wasn't until you had more exposure to white people that you started to see that there was a big difference in how the police treated people. And I thought that was really very poignant. And it's interesting because as I've been doing this work and talking to different people and talking a lot with other white people about this, you know, one of my girlfriends shared this story. She said that, you know, she has a friend, a man of color who is probably, I think he's like 28 years old. They're both professionals in the professional world. And she said she got pulled over the other day and she forgot her driver's license. She didn't have her registration. She was laughing because, you know, the police officer came up to the window and she was just like, oh, my gosh, I'm such an idiot. I did it. You know, and she said she didn't realize it at the time. But afterwards, when she was talking to her friend and colleague, you know, he was like, what? That would never happen to me. He's like, every single time a police officer stops me, I'm terrified for my life. And to see the difference and to hear and to experience and to be able to say for her to be like, wow, you know, just taking that for granted. I think that's another thing when you've got people growing up, just not even aware of any of this living in white spaces and, you know, like getting pulled over by the police. The joke is like, how much can you get away with? That's not the reality with our friends of color. At all. Particularly men. Especially, and it's it's scary because no, that is true. Like I, I've uh, me, I'm talking about my wife, especially telling her about your show and the shows that we've had. Um, there was one instance where she saw me uh, every time we pass CPD while while I'm driving her car. She has uh, Infinity; it's all tinted windows. Um, you know, I I tend to look in a, the rearview mirror or the side view mirror after we pass them because I'm trying to see if they're going to do a U-turn. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to see if they're going to pull us over. While I'm driving her car, we, we both have licenses. We, we have the insurance. It's all tied under both of our names. But it's just the fact that it it's not a, a, a car that you would see on the south side of Chicago unless that officer thinks this person is selling drugs to be able to afford it or unless they believe this person is from the suburbs and it's just driving into the city because um mm-hmm. the, the well, her car is registered, of course, in Evanston, which is a, a great – well, Skokie, which is a great – um suburb of Chicago. It's a north suburb. But in this suburb, it's just like your talk show. It it literally has there are white people who've um who've adopted black kids. There are uh biracial families out there. There's a lot of black and white talks. Uh there's a church out near where she stays where they have Black Lives Matter on their billboard outside. Um because this is it's turning itself into a kind of woke populace of white people that are very uh instrumental in making sure that police officers know better to make sure that they are for black people and they're saying it loud and proud. Um and because they have uh black people in their family, uh one way or another, be it adoption or through um uh, uh marriage. So for us to be in this car and she spotted that with me to see that I, every time we pass cops that I do that, 
and I'm I'm familiar with it. It's I'm not doing it unconsciously. It's but I I worry. Yeah. I worry for both of our sakes. But me having her in a car could possibly save our lives one day. And I'm not trying to take it to that degree where um it it something will happen where we will have our lives threatened by cops because we we know the spiel. We've had the talks as kids, but prior to me having that experience where cops, you know, frisked us in the alley uh just for playing basketball, I had no idea about cops to that degree. I only mm-hmm. saw what was on TV, which of course was the show Cops, which was heavy in the nineties. And I guess I was indoctrinated to believe that, you know, those those people were being pulled over and caught because of stuff that they did. You know, we don't know what type of film editing they may have done on the show Cops to make it seem like these people did this or that wrong and you know, but they weren't killing people on cops. So we had, we weren't fearing police like that, but now we do. Now we check. You know, there was one, this one point I was walking to a gas station. I think this was yesterday and I opened the door for a cop and I held it open and we kind of looked at each other. It was a black police officer, but it's just the fact that, you know, I, I just feel uncomfortable with all of them. It doesn't yeah. matter if they're, you know, my color. It doesn't matter if they're of color. It doesn't matter if they're white. I, I don't feel comfortable around them as, as, as the populace of white people who, who come from that notion that, you know, cops are just doing their job do feel. Right. I see videos of people who look like me die all the time. So if I'm seeing that, I have to talk to police officers as if my life depends on it. I have to walk by police officers as if my life depends on it. I take my hands out my pocket. I take my hat off. I unzip my coat so I can seem less threatening. I do the speed limit. I don't go uh, uh, an ounce above it. I don't try to go beneath it just in case they think I'm driving too slow because that can happen. And then that could be a reason I could die. I try not to drive as often. I try to catch the public transportation we have in Chicago. And and the thing about it is they get on public transportation, the cops, that is, because they have to make sure that they've done their due diligence with walking up and down the trains just to make sure nothing's happening, walking up and down the buses. They They tell the buses they... Uh, get off and on the trains at different stops just to make sure no one's doing anything inconspicuous. But they're there. They're always a heavy presence over right. my presence, and and mm-hmm. I, I can't I can't stomach that. I'm, I'm it's not it's not to the point where, uh, and this is for the white audience that may be listening. We're 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 not to the point where we're trying to uh, lash out. We're not uh, so so far down beaten that you know, the next thing we're going to do is just scream or jump out in the streets and say, like, we hate all cops. We're we're never there. We're not at that point. We're just letting you know how it feels mm-hmm. to always have your life foreshadowed by the ever-present populace of cops. It hurts because we have to live with fear every day that you don't. And and you you never will understand that. It's, it's I don't know how to describe it. It's, it's we, we're all afraid of something. Some people have arachnophobia. Some people are afraid of clowns. Some people are afraid of, of silly things like heights. That, and that's silly to me, but that, that's a real fear for somebody. But I won't stop and say, just because you're afraid of heights don't mean everyone else should be afraid. I'm, I'm not going to, you know, toy with your fear. If you're afraid of heights, I'm not going to invite you to the Sears Tower to look out over the Chicago skyline because you're afraid of heights. But I will believe you. If you told me you were afraid of heights, I don't need to see you being afraid of heights to know that you're afraid of heights. I don't want to put you in that situation. So for us not to be believed because we're scared of cops, because of what cops are doing to us or just people in general, and, you know, we we have this this notion that you're still going to back them, even though I feel some type of way, even though I want my child or my wife to be safe. I don't even have children yet, but just to be safe from that overbearingness of cops as well. We're not believe that that makes that makes it seem like you you don't love anybody but yourself. You know, you don't especially those professing Christianity, you don't want better for humanity. You you're okay being in your bubble, but that's not the bubble that Jesus was in. That's not um that's not how Christianity works. You're supposed to be there for one another, your your sister and your brother through it all. It doesn't matter if they're a different hue. We're human, yes. But the differences that we have on the outside of our bodies, some have it better, some have it worse, should not be that way. So just as we're fighting for police reform, we should be fighting for this country's reform. We shouldn't MAGA hat our way into uh, not believing people and subjecting people to, to, to ridicule because we don't understand the situations that they're going through. 
especially with when it comes to police officers. So I'd reiterate what we spoke about earlier. Um, speak with your police representatives. Uh, speak with people that are different from you that live on your same block. And I promise you, they'll tell you a different experience with police uh, than otherwise what you felt so that you can get an understanding there. And like Jennifer says, like she always says, do your homework. It's not that much. Literally, they're like the 13th on Netflix. If you don't have time to read a book, I think that's about an uh, hour and a half, maybe hour 45, okay. two hour documentary that that digs deep into not just the black experience. And, you know, like for for anyone listening, we don't want you to to take away that when we say do your homework, like we want you to know the entire history of what happens to African-Americans up until 2019. You don't have to dig that far back. Most of the stuff that's readily accessible now, a book or again, a documentary may only go back um, to the early 1900s in America. It's not okay. trying to say you're a bad person because slavery existed. It's not trying to say that your ancestors are horrible people. It's not saying, you know, you know, we eventually will will find a way to all leave America, anything of that nature. It's just you have to have some form of how this all ties together. And it is through understanding the history of the country, just as the, the Germans understand their history now of their Nazism and what they did, of course, to the Jewish. It's 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 not that deep. We don't want you to feel that when you get this understanding that, you know, uh, we're going to take you for a loop. We're trying to pull something over your eyes. No, no. Winning an ally, winning someone that you can uh, be called uh, a brother or a sister to is only going to make your walk better in humanity. And that almost concludes our show for today. But I'm going to read something out of Medium. It is an article by Ben Fountain, and it is titled Slavery and the Origins of the American Police State. I feel like he did such a good job with this that I'm going to read a chunk of it, and then you guys can go on and dig into this more if you're interested. They were called patrollers, or variously patterollers, patty rollers, or patterolls, and they were meant to be part of the solution to colonial America's biggest problem, labor. Unlike Great Britain, which had a large, basically immobile peasant class that could be forced to work for subsistence wages, there weren't enough cheap bodies in America to do the grunt work. If you were a planter looking to make your fortune in rice or tobacco, the New World's cash crops, you had to size up to industrial scale, and for that you needed bodies. Armies of bodies, a labor force that could be made to work for terms no less brutal than those inflicted on the miserables of Europe. Native Americans weren't the solution, not after disease, war, and murderous forms of forced labor reduced their numbers by half. Indentured servants were imported, but in numbers too few to fill the void, and they had a habit of running off. The wider frontier beckoned, all that empty space for sass mouths and malcontents to vanish into. So it became Africans. Jamestown received its first cargo of enslaved humans in 1619, a dozen years after the colony's founding. The first installment on the estimated 455,000 who would eventually land in North America. Control of this new labor force would be key. Mutiny was the great fear. By the early 1700s, a comprehensive system of racially directed law enforcement was well on its way to being fully developed. This was, in fact, the first systematic form of policing in the land that would become the United States. The Northeast colonies relied on the informal night watch system of volunteers policing and on private security to protect commercial property. In the Southern colonies, policing's origins were rooted in the slave economy and the radically racialized social order that invented whiteness as the ultimate boundary. Whites, no matter how poor or low, could not be held in slavery. Blacks could be enslaved by anyone. Whites, free blacks, and people of mixed race. The distinction and the economic order that created it was maintained by a legally sanctioned system of surveillance, intimidation, and brute force whose purpose was the control of blacks. Slave patrols, or paddy rollers, were the chief enforcers of this system. Groups of armed mounted whites who rode at night among the plantations and settlements of their assigned beats, the word originated with the patrols, seeking out runaway slaves, unsanctioned gatherings, 
weapons, contraband, and generally any sign of potential revolt. They were the stuff of Lauren's songs. Now you can go to Medium and you can look up the article and do some research on this as well, because depending on the regions and the development of the different colonies, there were different styles and also different influences coming from different regions. And we don't even need to go back that far historically to understand the abuses and the violations and the tensions between communities of color and policing. Who prevented people from going and voting? Who prevented people from walking in and exercising their constitution-given right to vote? The police. Who prevented people from marching on the Edmund Pettus Bridge two times before the third attempt? Police. Who governed and maintained ghettos in this country, police. So we have this ugly history that we can either look at so that we can gain insight and create change, or we can pretend it doesn't exist and we can continue to um, scratch our heads over what's going on. But I think if you're listening to this podcast, you are interested in change. And all of us are interested in change. Here at Speaking of Racism, we believe in the imago day in every single solitary individual on this planet. And we believe that we can do better and that we need to do better. Thanks for listening. And tune in next week when I talk about the book White Fragility with my friend Dexter Pierce.